the South American Football Show. We're here with week two of the Copa Libertadores. So much action, so many goals, so many events. We're going to discuss it all. I've got a slightly expanded pod this week. Three very strong guests. So I'll start with the return of Austin Miller. Austin, welcome back. Yes, Simon, thanks for having me back. It's a, a pleasure to be back. Great Libertadores action to break down this week. Um, always fun to be on the pod. You guys had a great show last week. It made made my Monday as I was getting the work schedule set for the week to listen and remember all that I'd watched in week one. So great to be back and looking forward to breaking down some great action this week. Perfect. Excellent. As well as Austin, I have the return of Tom. Tom, welcome back. More action, more discussion, more yeah, podcast. Yeah, uh, coming Yay. thick and fast like the Libertadores games themselves. And yeah, really fantastic week of action. A lot of uh, golden oldies proving their worth. I'm also delighted to say that we have the return of Anna Evans. She helped us preview last year's final uh, based in Brazil. Uh, and I'm delighted to say that she's here with us to talk about week two in the in the group stage. So Anna... Welcome. All right, it's good to be back. Um, plenty of action from Brazilian teams, as always, to talk about. Five goals, four goals, four goals. Madness, as usual, in the Libertadores this week. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to start on a high point. Last week, we went through group by group, and we'll do that as well. But I thought it was only right that we begin with kind of peak Libertadores action. Um, we'll go straight for the 4-4 with the red card and the the, the drama, the late winners. Oh, it, was a, it was a great game of football. So I'll begin with Nacional versus Nacional, the kind of the all-Nacional clash. Nacional of Uruguay, obviously a great historic, important club, and Atletico Nacional of Colombia, the king of the cups, one of the big clubs here in Colombia as well. And it was a it was a very, very interesting, fun game to, to watch. Uh, <laughs> all of the action. Um, Tom, g- you go through it for us because it's overwhelming me. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure I'll do too much better trying to summarise this absolute madcap game in Montevideo. Uh, as you said, it's pretty much everything you could want from a Libertadores match. And maybe somewhat surprising given Nacional's uh, record in this competition of, of being a bit defensively solid. But they, they really took the game to uh, Atletico Nacional and, and it was really end-to-end. I mean, within about five minutes, I think Nacional had hit the bar, uh, hit the post rather. Um, and then Nacional went ahead, Atletico Nacional got a, this is going to get confusing already, but uh, Jalan Berreira um, with a, with a really brave header actually to, to give the Colombians the, the lead, but Nacional, uh, Uruguayan Nacional hit back quickly. Um, Bergesio used his body really, really well to to roll Mosquera. Um, quite a big lesson for the, the young defender who, who we're all fans of, but uh, Bergesio showing his his class there. And he, he almost got another one shortly afterwards. Um, and, you know, it was just back to back and forth. Um, and then there was um, a straight red for Guzman Corujo, who I'm sure we'll be able to discuss the what we think of that in, in, in a bit more detail. Um, so Nacional were down to 10 men and then the Colombians took the, took the lead 2-1 with Andrade. Um, really nice team goal, actually. And Andrade, who was just absolutely sensational all night. Um, and, but then that lead didn't last long, just like the first. And Leandro Fernandez scored another beautiful team move, really nice move down the left and... Um, between Candido and, and Fernandez, and he he received the ball really well, just nice little shimmy, and then finished with uh, a plum to to have two two uh, 
at, uh, at half time. And I think we were all, at that stage, we were all holding our breath and thinking, wow, what's going on here? This is absolute madness. And then the second half, gave us more of the same. Um, Bergesio that, um, gave the 10-man the Nacional a 3-2 um, uh, lead. Um, again, it was uh, a, a really good header from from him. Another Candido cross, um, his second assist of the night. And then they went 4-2 up, in, which just seemed remarkable really uh, again another header from Bergesio have a hat trick for the for the veteran striker um but then Nacional came back into it you know they they kept applying the pressure uh got an own go- well, own goal from Orihuela um and then Jalen Barrera who, who was another strong performer um after sort of a spell of pressure eventually he managed to sweep it in so yeah it was it was back back to fourth and you know changing leads all the time and you kind of thought the 10 man Nacional we're going to pull off a famous victory but credit to the Colombians they they came back to it so yeah I mean that's the the kind of blow by blow account what how did you see it Simon? Yeah it was it was a game of a lot of quality as well um you know sometimes you get games with lots of goals and you think well maybe (laughs) maybe the defense was just terrible and there's obviously going to be a degree of that. But what struck me more than anything is the intensity of the game, the speed of the game, the ability of both teams to move the ball and pass the ball as well. I think Nacional in particular, they completed a good number of passes, had a lot of possession. Um, but I think the difference was that Nacional of Uruguay were just so efficient in front of goal and, and moved so quick in attacking areas. Uh, Nacional had slightly more of the ball and obviously the way the game panned out Uruguay, uh, Nacional of Uruguay converted a good number of their chances and, and that was very important, which always put Nacional chasing the game and again, probably the reason they had more possession. Um, but both teams were going were going for it throughout the game. Begesio, again, you say, with the, with the experience and, and that was obviously an important lesson for Nacional. I think Nacional's defenders will be disappointed, um, but the goals were all... No, mostly the result of good quality attacking play uh, and good intensity and, and good, you know, experience play. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Andres Andrade. I think he's been really, really important for Nacional. Uh, and Jalen Barrera is back in form. He's obviously a player of good quality. And and Duque as well. He's a big guy. He's, he's getting, in, you know, he's into his 30s now. Um, but he, he still puts himself about. And, you know, he's, he's sometimes criticised by the fans here in Colombia. Um, for not providing enough overall contribution. But it was a really nice assist, particularly in the first goal. And he played an important role in attack. So, yeah, it was a really, really fun game. Um, we'll come to that in a second. Uh, Austin, what do you think? Definite red card? Um, It's a tough one for me. I, it's Yeah, I don't know. To be completely honest with you, it... it, it the thing about that decision for me is it feels like it changed the game, but then it was actually Nacional of Uruguay who found themselves 4-2 up. And, and I think that's kind of the big takeaway is, you know, if you're 4-2 up in a game where you have 10 men, you know, you have to see that out for three points. And so I think this is more a point one for Atletico Nacional. If you want to look at the, the kind of bigger picture than for Nacional of Colombia, I should say. Um, 
than it is a, a point one for the Uruguayan Nacional, who are now under a lot of pressure in this group if they want to try to get out of it. Yeah, I was kind of being a bit, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit of a harsh red card, I think, as well. Um, but yeah, I think that own goal coming when it did really um, was very important in kind of giving the renewed energy and confidence to Nacional for that final chase, Atletico Nacional for that final chase in the last minutes. Uh, but Anna, what did you think of this game? Um, for me, it was a very good example of of why people should be tuning into the Libertadores. Exactly, exactly. To be honest, before kickoff, I was in half of a mind whether to watch Cerro Porteño and La Guaira or Nacional Nacional. And I thought, of, you know, I watched the first minute of Cerro and I was like, no, no, I'll go for Nacional Nacional. And it was a good decision, to be honest, because that Cerro game was not the best. But exactly like you said, it had everything that you wanted, to be honest, in the Libertadores game. The own goal, the red card, eight goals. And I mean, I don't know if I was slightly disappointed or relieved that it ended in the draw, to be honest. It was it was fantastic. Best game of the week. Yeah, I, I think it was very good. Um, and it, it felt harsh. It felt harsh on kind of both teams to not, yeah. to not get more. But it would have been very difficult to kind of finish that game, given everything both teams put into it. Uh, and to not to not have any rewards, so I think probably a point is fair. One player that I think deserves a lot of um, well that deserves some respect as well. I mean, we've mentioned Andra and Barrera, but Brian Ocampo put on a real show. Um, he's been in spectacular form in 2021, and and he was I mean he was involved in um, certainly winning the ball back um, for the for the for the third goal I think, and and he was yeah he was putting out all the tricks and and the flicks, and he was you know, so essential for the Uruguayans to give them a bit of um, an outball and, and creativity. Um, there was one moment where Brian Rovira came to sort of close him down and he, he kind of stood him up, swung a, like a, a very lazy leg and, and then sort of just nutmegged him. And it was just like typical Ocampo. And, and he was another, um, you know, great reason why I think Nacional were just a bit more attacking than we've seen them in the past. So I just had to throw that in there before we move on to the next game. No, absolutely. That nutmeg is definitely worth checking out. Uh, but with a kind of Neymar fake where you just kind of swing your leg nowhere near the ball, but to just kind of offset the, the defender and then through the legs and another through ball thing afterwards as well. So yeah, no, definitely worth the shout. So we have perhaps a surprise leader. We always thought this group was going to be quite tight. Um, no kind of clear out-and-out winner. An impressive performance from Atletico Nacional away. Nacional showed some real interesting attacking quality as well. So this group is looking interesting. And uh, we also had in that group uh, Argentinos against Católica. Uh, Austin, what did you make of this game? Was it as fun as the All-Nacional affair? No, it was not. And frankly, I don't think anything was going to be as fun as the All-Nacional affair. But like you said, Simon, we've got a surprise leader atop this group. Um I think Argentina's juniors were, were probably the the Argentine side for sure coming into this group stage that I had the lowest expectations for. Uh, but here they are, you know, two games played, a pair of 2-0 wins, including an impressive win against the defending Chilean champions that has them on six points and in a pretty good spot going forward. Um, I don't think they've been a, an incredibly impressive side, uh, but they're compact they're organized and in a group like this that that can make the difference um they found the goals which i I think was probably the biggest question for them coming into this tournament um gabriel alce got got one in this match um so it was an impressive performance from them and them on six points is definitely a surprise and also universidad catolica on zero points through two games is also a bit of a surprise although 
um, if you've been listening to, to our Chilean expert, Adam Brandon, maybe it isn't that much of a surprise. But for sure, a, a negative performance again from Catolica. Um, Gus Poyet is having problems with this team. They just can't seem to get anything going in attack. It takes them too long to find their way into matches. And that was the case again in this match. It took them a half an hour before they even really threatened against Argentinos juniors. And against Libertadores opposition, that's just not good enough, to be completely honest with you. So a disappointing start to the, to the tournament for Catolica, a strong start to the tournament for Argentinos juniors. No, Tom? Yeah, exactly. I think um, you've, you've summed it up perfectly there. You know, Arcandinos Juniors, are they're nothing special, but they are really solid at the back and, and they've proved themselves efficient going forward. So um, I think they didn't have to be that good to beat this Catolica side, really. But there were some really nice moments um, from them going forward. Certainly that first goal was a really nice team move. Um, we don't often give Argentinos Juniors much credit for their attacking prowess, but how Alche played a really beautiful ball inside the um, inside the fullback for Sandoval to pull it back for Florentin, um, and and that was kind of you know it shows they've got a bit of class about them and and Alche getting a goal as well. He, he's always been a bit of a um, sort of cult hero, and there, there's a there's quite an amusing Twitter account called Fan de Alche where it's always like goals against defence. He was this year Alche three Messi zero and it basically like bigs him up way too much obviously uh it's very tongue-in-cheek but um always always enjoyable to see Alche uh, filling his boots so yeah very good from Argentinos juniors and um I guess we're gonna we'll see what they're really made up made of when they come up against uh Atletico Nacional Yes, I think it should be a, a really good game. I think Nacional are playing well. They give me hope from a Colombian perspective. Um, obviously, it would have been great to have got the win, but you know, I think it's a good result for Nacional. And as the group stands, it's six points for Argentinos, two for Na- uh, four for Nacional, one uh, Nacional of Uruguay, and zero points for Chile. Let's move on to Group A uh, and another game which I thought we would be happy to be headlining with um, but was more one-sided than I think any of us expected was Palmeiras against Independiente del Valle, you know, our pod favourite going up a Brazi- up against the Brazilian giant. We had memories of Flamengo being de- demolished last year uh, but it didn't work out this way this time, did it, Anna? Yeah, I mean, this game before... Before it started was one of the ones I was most excited about um, for Palmeiras because we saw Independiente del Valle in the pre-Libertadores completely do away with, with Gremio but both legs they were completely completely superior to, to Gremio and knocked them out and so I really had a lot of expectation for them going up against Palmeiras especially since Palmeiras didn't really play very well last week to be honest against uh, Universitario they were really, really lucky to come away with a win last week. The, the 94th minute goal uh, basically got the win for them. And so, like you said, I thought it would be a lot closer than it was. And then it just wasn't. It just wasn't. Um, Palmeiras completely dominated the game. Um, early goals from, from Horney, one of my favourite players for Palmeiras. Um, standout player last year in the Lipsadores for me, definitely. 
he played extremely, extremely well. He scored two absolute rockets for, for Palmeiras, one at the beginning, one at the end of the game. Uh, and then you had the goal from Luis Adriano as well, the, the veteran striker for, for Palmeiras. And honestly, Independiente didn't really shine. They didn't really play the way that they, that they usually do. They're usually a possession-based team, but this really suited Palmeiras very well, I think, to be honest, because every time Palmeiras got the ball, they just completely took advantage of it, passed it up front, took opportunities, the shots on target, just far, far, far more superior from, from the Brazilian side, to be honest. Okay, perfect. Yeah, no, exactly. It was a, it was a, bit of a strange one. Uh, Tom, what happened to IDV? Or was this all down to Palmeiras? No, I mean, I think IDV could probably, you know, hold themselves a little bit responsible for, for some of those early goals. You know, for, for the first goal and the third goal, they, they were playing around at the back. And whether it be a case of uh, Palmeiras' press working quite well to, to force them into mistakes, um, or whether it was just IDV being not quite at it as we'd expect. I, I think it was a bit of both there because, you know, the second goal as well was a mistake from Pacho. So that those first three goals um, were all quite, in, um, you know, avoidable. And and I think certainly the third goal, that was that felt like the moment when um, Independiente de Lavage's heads dropped. Um, and then after that, it was quite, quite easy for Palmeiras to, to rack up a few and obviously as much as we saw those brilliant performances um, from the Ecuadorians last year you know there were shades of that 4-0 loss to Flamengo as well away from uh, away from home so maybe we're in slight danger of getting caught up in the in the hype a little bit um, and maybe this is just a one-off it's, I mean it's their hardest game of the of the group out of the way now so you think if they can pick up six points against Universitario then that's probably you know going to get them back on track you know you wouldn't want to write them off this early and and also just finally um I, th- I thought it was um quite nice to see Danilo Barbosa get a goal right at the end there because I mean he was someone who was absolutely sensational at the under 20 world cup in 2015 bounced around Europe for a while and, and he's still only 25 so to to have him in the squad um as, as another player that they can they can use it just makes Palmeiras that bit stronger and, and have a few more options so yeah they're looking good um and yeah, as anna said you know yeah. a statement performance for after that slightly nervy win uh, last week so yeah palmeiras march on um and uh idv have got some catching up to do one thing quickly from me that stood out with this game um was I thought Paul Matus did a really good job of taking advantage of how IDV liked to play. And I think that was that was managed really, really well by Abel Ferreira, the Paul Matus manager. They took advantage of the high line that IDV used, and it felt like just about every single goal um, that Paul Matus had, not every single goal, but a lot of their goals came from kind of pushing IDV up and then getting in behind them. And so I thought that was really well done managerially by, by Fededa in this match. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Austin, are you still a Palmeiras fan? Are, are you are you just putting in Argentine now? Are you still got Palmeiras sympathies? Yeah, sure. I guess. I don't know. I don't know, man. Life gets weird when you start working in football, I guess, is what I'll say. <laughs> okay. Okay, fair enough. Let's see if, if you win the title. Let's see, if, uh, see how you feel. Um, and you can maybe decide uh, Tom what about Defensa y Justicia Universitario how did that game go well yeah it went pretty much as I was expecting it to be to be honest it was a really routine win for Defensa I mean probably you could argue that the easiest game 
um, of of the group. So it was really important they got the win. Um, and yeah, they, they they had lots of chances. Um, Defence had um, scored a really really beautiful team goal. Uh, to, to start it off um, Achin getting it deep playing a little one-two with uh, uh, Walter Bo and then passed it on to Pizzini who played another little one-two with Bo and then dinked it into the net I think you could s- straight away from that goal see the difference between these two sides because when Achin picked it up in the middle of the park and sort of jinked past a few players you know they just weren't the people tracking him back and I think defensive were just that little bit more on it a little bit more mentally switched on Um and then they had a goal ruled out for offside. And then Bo went in and scored two goals. Um, got a nice assist from uh, Gajalo, the son of Marcelo there as well. Um, and a really, really beautiful goal, back healing it into the net, which I thought really summed up his his game. He's been very good for them. And and if you just look at the, the stats, I mean, XG of 3.15 to 0.3 kind of, tells you everything you need to know and is reflected in the scoreline. Um, also, I've got to give some love to Becca Sese's um, attire on the sidelines. He, he, If anyone didn't see it, just imagine kind of an art thief or a, um, a cat burglar, that kind of vibe. You could just imagine him sneaking out of the stadium with the Mona Lisa underneath his arm. So that was always enjoyable, as well as uh, Universitario's slightly uh, weird pre-game graphic when, you know, announcing their squad, they, they looked like they were all kind of staring around a stadium but they just looked a bit confused and as if they were just sort of trying to sniff something weird in the air so all-round fail from Universitario and um, and, a, and a very impressive performance from Defensa. Okay okay sounds good. Uh, Austin your thoughts on uh, Becca Sessi sartorially and what about this group? It's looking tricky for IDV at the start you know uh, they've dropping back behind a little bit are they still going to make it through? Yeah, I think the, well, first of all, Becca Sese is always, you know, stellar. One of the best dress managers in South America always seems to get it right. Um, I think with this group, IDV dropping two points against Defensa Justicia and Quito, I think could prove to be a really, really big result as this group goes on. Um, they'll meet again on the last match day. That match could be win and go through for either of those teams, but Defensa might be able to, to play with a draw. Um, we'll see how all the group plays out. Still four matches to go. But yeah, it's looking tight for that second spot to go through. I think Palmatis probably have that first spot on, on lockdown, particularly after bouncing back from, as you guys said, a shaky performance last week with a really strong performance this week. But it's really interesting. And, and you know, Univers- Universitario, they showed some things against Palmatis, albeit against 10 men Palmatis. So maybe they can play spoiler in this group and, and have a say in, in how things end up by the end of it. Tem mais, tem dez, quem não tem, corre atrás Olha o Deca e o meu Palmeiras é a mais Quem tem mais, tem dez, quem não tem, corre atrás Olha o Deca e o meu Palmeiras é a mais Quem tem mais, tem dez, quem não tem, corre atrás Okay, perfect. Well, let's move on to Group B. Uh, and we begun the began the week with Tachira always ready, 1-2. The Venezuelans and the Bolivians dominating. Um, we didn't expect necessarily that to hold on, but... Austin, you've been really impressed by Always Ready. You, can they can they do the unthinkable and get out of this this group with Brazilian giants Internacional and uh, you know, the big Paraguayan side Olympia? Can can Always Ready do it? What do you think? 
They showed more this week than I think I would have expected from them. Uh, it ended in a 2-1 win for Olympia, a massive win for the Paraguayan side who came into this Libertadores under a lot of pressure to get something done. Uh, had a, The loss in, away in Venezuela certainly did not help expectations. Um, a first half for Olympia in this match that wasn't that good. They were pretty toothless, always ready, hit the post. They had the best chance, I thought, of the match. Um, and then in the second half, always ready, go and take the lead. Uh, the Bolivian veteran, Juan Carlos Arce, he's been on a whole lot of Bolivian Libertadores teams. He knows the drill away from home. Um, cut up the left wing, sliced through a couple of defenders, rolled the ball across the goal, and it trickled in off, off of the foot of an Olympia defender. And it looked as though always ready would have enough to, to hang on for this win. They defended well. They'd been organized. They'd really limited Olympia's chances. But it kind of felt like the goal for always ready really kicked Olympia into second gear. Roque Santa Cruz um, off the bench, a really impressive performance from him. He played a big role in, in Olympia's first goal, holding the ball up to set up the chance. Uh, and then when that initial chance was saved, he was the one who, who fired in the rebound to make it 1-1. And then a bit of a set-piece miscue from Always Ready defensively led to Richard Ortiz slamming home the second and a 2-1 win for Olympia, a win they absolutely had to have. They could not leave this match with anything less than three points. But Always Ready showed a lot more away from home than, than I expected from them. They were organized defensively. They weren't toothless in attack. Yes, they didn't dominate possession, but they created some good chances. They scored a goal. There are the players here to get a result away from home at some point in this group. And when you look at a, a Deportivo Tatra side, that's probably the game that Always Ready have circled. Take care of business at home. They've won their hardest home match already. If they can win the other two home matches and maybe get something away in Venezuela, they could absolutely get out of this group. Um, there's enough talent and attack. I, I've liked the, I like the way they approached this match. Um, I don't want to say they were unfortunate not to win because Olympia played really well over the last 25 minutes of this match. Um, but yeah, there's signs there for Always Ready and there's signs there for Olympia. But this group is going to be tricky for the Paraguayan side. They still have to go to Bolivia. That's not going to be easy. They've yet to play Internacional. That's obviously not going to be easy. Uh, they've put the pressure on themselves with their early performances. And as I said, this is a team that coming into this Libertadores was under a lot of pressure in Paraguay. They've been far and away the best side in that country, but haven't quite made it work yet in the Libertadores. And so far, um, the jury's still out of them in this competition. Um, but they did what they had to do in this match, and they got the three points. Okay, Tom, do you see Olympia going through? Uh, and how impressed were you with Always Ready? They seem to be doing pretty good. We, you know, you, you had your doubts, but are you convinced? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they're definitely the best of the Bolivian sides in this competition. And um, again, yeah, they, they did very well. Um, just unfortunately, that extra quality coming off the bench uh, sort of, made for them and um and yeah I, I don't think olympia quite at the standard that we're expecting uh, and uh, obviously we've seen tachira in the first game look quite good they weren't quite at it in the second game as, as i'm sure we'll go on to speak about but um yeah i think given that this uh group is finally balanced uh, at the moment i think there's even if it isn't necessarily the group with the highest quality i think it's one that could throw up some surprises and um and certainly there's there's everything to play for okay perfect and uh, anna so international lost the first game 2-0 but this looks more like what we expected were they as good as it looks like on, on paper uh, obviously a 4-0 win against tachira uh, how how did this game go yeah i mean Last week, uh, I mean, 
everyone looked at International and thought, oh my God, what is this team, to be honest? But like you said, this week was far more typical of them. Uh, 4-0 against the, the Venezuelan side. But generally a team that do much better at home anyway, not just with the altitude last week, but they tend to perform much better at home. And they performed this week, I think. Um, we got to see some of their good uh, attacking talent. For example, the, the youngster, Yuri Alberto. He, the 20-year-old, is a Santos Academy product. He, he scored a nice goal this week off the bench. And so it'll be interesting to see going forward whether they use him more as a starting player because he has bags of talent, um, this kid. And also the goal from, from Thiago Gallardo as well. Another prolific goal scorer for, for international. Finally from Thiago Gallardo, right, Anna? In the little throws, finally? Exactly, exactly. He was one of, he's, he's the best for international when it comes to the Brasileirão. But, I mean... In the in the in the Libertadores, we hardly ever see him. Hardly ever ever see him, and it was the same last week, you know. So much much more typical from from international this this week, and yeah, I mean this group has been probably one of the most surprising ones so far. All equals a three, like you you said before. But having said this, I do still think that international will come out on top because I can't see any other team honestly challenging unless always ready with their altitude on sides can throw up a few more surprises in the group. Tom, I, I think reports of Miguel Angel Ramirez as a bald fraud may have been a bit premature last week. Hey, I was just playing devil's advocate there. I think if you if you listen back to the tape, you'll you'll just see that I'm I'm throwing it out there as a as a question. You know, it's uh, used very much tongue in cheek as you know the people who call Guardiola a bald fraud. You know, I think I think clearly it's a, it's a phrase from uh, know nothings that I was just introducing just to throw a bit of spice into the pod, and and it looks like I've uh, I've managed it. So uh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> That was a pretty long explanation for just saying, yeah, I was wrong. You could have just said that. That would have been easy enough. Uh, I agree with Ana, though. Uh, look, Internacional are the best side in this group. Their toughest game is off the table. They lost it, sure. Uh, but it's really hard to see them dropping very many points in the remainder of this group. I think the fight is going to be for second place. Um, and and as, as I said, always ready to play Deportivo Tachira next week uh, in La Paz. If they pick up three points there and if they can scratch something out away from home and then they pick up something against Olympia at home, they might be coming out of the scoop in second place. The pressure's on Olympia and I think they're going to have to get something from their two games against Internacional, even if it's just a point. If they want to go through, they're going to have to do something against the Brazilians. Adelante Olimpia, Olimpia querido, siempre combatido y siempre campeón. Flamea orgullosa bandera, la empeña tu franja gloriosa de noble pendón. La fe victoriosa que inspira tu enseña es obra grandiosa de tu tradición. Los blancos pañuelos ya cubren el cielo, premiando elocuente tu obra triunfal. Tresurra la Olimpia. Okay, so let's get on to the next, the next group. And in this group we have Barcelona and Boca at the top and then Santos and the Strongest at the bottom. So, not that I'm not interested, but let's get it out of the way quickly. Uh, Austin, what about the Strongest Barcelona? Uh, was this a classic for it the ages? It was not. Um, this was a Bolivian team going down to sea level, even the coast even, uh, with one plan, which was, all right, we start the match with a point. Let's see if we can finish it with a point. Uh, 
they did not finish the match with a point. In fact, they, they uh, conceded four times in the second half. It took Barcelona a little while to get into to the groove. The strongest weren't particularly organized. They weren't particularly good, but they threw a lot of bodies behind the ball. And and for that reason, you know, it took Barcelona a bit. It went to halftime nil-nil, and then Barcelona scored within the first 90 seconds of the second half. And that was pretty much game, set, and match. 4-0 win. They did what they had to do. They were impressive. I've been, you know, this has been two good performances from this Barcelona team. And very quickly, this has been two really bad performances from the strongest. Uh, they fired their manager midweek into a manager in charge, they looked like they had one plan in this match, and that was to hold out for a normal draw, and that's just not going to work in this competition more often than not, particularly not in a group with this much talent. Um, they've already lost once at home. It's hard to see them being anything other than altitude-aided spoilers for the rest of this group, and that's a shame because this is a good club with a lot of history in this competition, but they're just not at the level they need to be to, to do anything in the competition this year. Barcelona, however, I think are, are certainly winning hearts and minds of, of, of some fans with their performances so far. They were impressive against Santos last week and impressive again here this week. Was that fast enough for you, Simon? Yeah, perfect. As fast as the Barcelona wingers. Love it. Okay, great. Um, nice. Yeah, very impressive from Barcelona. Not so impressive from Santos. So do I go for the good news with Tom or the bad news of Anna? I'm going to start with Anna. Anna, what's happening with Santos? They finalists last year. Are they are they not as good? What's happened? Are they missing Soteldo? <laughs> what's going on? I mean, I have no words for Santos, to be honest. I mean, I think if you would have told me back in January when... Boca and Santos faced each other in the semi-finals of last year's Libertadores. That the most predictable game so far in the 2021 Libertadores was that Santos would lose to Boca Juniors. I wouldn't have believed you. But I've lost all hope in Santos, to be honest. Everything is going bad for them. Um, I mean, you couldn't really expect anything from a team that just that they were with their manager having resigned 24 hours before the game. And so, absolutely, absolutely terribly poor from Santos. It's not just a matter of Soteldo as well. It's a matter of a lot of the good players not performing. There's an over-reliance on a lot of the younger players. I mean, we always look at Santos and we think, wow, the team is filled with wonder kids. You know, you have 16-year-old uh, Angelo Gabriel, 17-year-old Kaiki, not the one that we, always, that we all know now, the other Kaiki, Kaiki uh, fernandez Melo. And so we always look at Santos and think, wow, this team packed with wonder kids, fantastic. But the team puts far, far, far too much reliance on these teenagers to, to perform. And you can't expect a, a ragtag bunch of veterans and, and teenage kids to really give consistent, good performances at such a high level in the Libertadores, especially not the way to Boca Juniors at the Bomanera. And so... I would be extremely, extremely surprised if Santos managed to get out of the group, to be honest. Given the, the performances of Barcelona as well, they're doing pretty well. Um, I really don't see Santos going very far. To be honest, I think they pushed their luck to even qualify for this Libertadores in the first place. They got the last um, berth of the Brazilian teams and then sort of managed their way past uh, Deportivo Lara and San Lorenzo. And now I just think the train has sort of started to slow and they're running out of steam. And I don't see them going much further, to be honest. Absolutely scolding uh, well, response to Santos. I, this is the, the kind of a culmination of a lot of things for Santos. As, as, as 
and I mentioned, um, you know, Ariel Hawan leaves after his team loses a state league derby because the fans protest outside his house. Santos are forced to send uh, Marcelo Fernandez, uh, who is basically a Buenos Aires taxi driver, I think is the best way to describe his, his appearance. He looks like the dude who takes you, you know, from the Isla Parky to, to your Airbnb. Um, just not a, a Brazilian manager. Uh, they're under a transfer ban. They can't register new players. They sell Sotelo to try and lift that transfer ban. It's just a disastrous situation for Santos. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's really come to a head, and, and now they're they're behind the eight ball in this group for sure. So I think Anna did a great job of, of explaining it, and it's just the culmination of a lot of different things. And this team looks so much different, as she said, than than the team um, that made the Libertadores final last year, Tom. Yeah, even even just to say quickly, you have Marinho, who was the player of the tournament last year, and you also have Caio Jorge, who was. One of the standout strikers, really, in the Libertadores last year. He was one of the, the main talents, really. And he's coming back from injury now after two months. And Marino's coming back after... He had a really bad reaction to COVID or something. And he, he's been out for about two months. And so even even the players that remain with, with Santos from last year are really not at the level, fitness-wise, as they should be, to perform and to give some, some guidance and to give some consistency consistency for Santos and so uh, there's so 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 many things going wrong at the moment for, for Santos yeah I think and it also like speaks said, to maybe unrealistic expectations from a lot of us in terms of the fact they got to the final was a, a bit of a fairy tale um, in terms of everything that was going off the pitch last year and, and the fact they managed to cobble something together and, and, and get there against maybe not all odds but certainly against a lot of odds um, and this is maybe the the chickens coming home to to roost really, and and obviously a, a different style, maybe one that didn't completely style uh, suit the personnel they've got on their in their squad. And it's going to be really fascinating to see where Holland goes next because that's it's definitely been a bit of a a failure in terms of uh, a choice of of job to go for as as attractive as it it might sound with all those young players. But for Boca at least, um, you know they're going to be very happy with, with how they played. Um, they weren't the most exciting by any means, but they're really effective. They're kind of similar to Argentinos Juniors, but with a bit more stardust. <laughs> no, you don't say it, Yeah, man. but I think there's, there's maybe some reasons to be a little bit more excited about um, them because that midfield three they've got, of Almendra, Varela and Medina, you know, basically three kids, I mean, late teens, early 20s at the oldest, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily been a sort of masterstroke from Rusa. I think it's been more kind of, oh, um, we've got a load of injuries and COVID cases. Let's put these guys in. But they've done really well the last three games they've played together. And they, especially Medina, who's I think just 18, he was really impressive. Um, he really ran the midfield. Almendra coming back from the colds, you know, it looked like he, by all accounts he was going to be out of Boca. And, and now we're kind of seeing that that huge talent that when he first broke through is is starting to put his imprint on, on this side. And also Pawan coming back um, as well kind of gives that, that balance of Vija on one side and Pawan on the other. And it kind of allows Tevez to do his best bits as well. So, and certainly was a good game for, for Tevez, you know, getting the first goal. Um, nice sort of flick on from Lopez. And then he was there just about getting it over the line. And then Vija with a, with a really nice um, 
goal to, to finish off with assists from Tevez and, and some good work from Varela to, to set it off. So I think as much as Santos were there for the taking, Boca did it in a very professional way. And, and yeah, Santos, I think that's only one shot on target or one shot in total they've had in two games now. And, and they're looking really shocking from a group that we all kind of thought that could hold quite a lot of interest is now looking very, um, yeah, like a two horse race basically after the strongest and Santos have really not shown up at all. Um, so yeah, Boca cruising through and, and not even really getting in out of third gear yet. I thought Tevis was good in this game, Tom. Um, there was, unnecessary discussion here as in Argentina is. about, you know, Tevez being left. Yes. The, the current headline on ESPN as I'm recording this podcast is who is better today, Boca or River? So, you know, only asking the important questions. Um, but there was a lot of, you know, unnecessary noise around, oh, Tevez isn't going to La Paz. He's 37. It's La Paz. There's no need for him to go there. And I thought, you know, he, he gave a response in this game and he played really well. He was important to Boca. He scored the goal. He set up Visa for the second goal. I was impressed with him and, you know, look, it, it, it's not always the most entertaining, but it's been effective from Boca so far. And that's kind of what they needed. They look like they're going to probably cruise out of this group. As you said, Tom, it could have been a tricky group. Doesn't look like it's going to end up being a tricky group. Uh, so credit to Boca for that, for sure. And like I said, I thought Tevez played really well. Okay, perfect. Well, let's move on uh, and we'll look at, uh, at Group D. Uh, we have two Colombian teams. Uh, I believe they're currently both bottom. Tied for bottom. So, tied for third, great. Simon, I think is how you meant to say that. Tied for third. Bronze medal. Bronze medal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, we have a Colombian team in the Sudamericana places, which is great news. Let's be positive. Um, and, you know, Junior played against River Plate. And they were quite good. And I always thought they were going to lose um, because it's junior. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think a fairly, you know, the, the Hector Martinez gave uh, River the lead in the first half. And junior responded fairly well, looked fairly dangerous. It was fairly even at times. But, you know, both had the same number of shots, similar number of uh, of possession, you know, Junior made more passes, which is great, and and Junior looked all right, and they looked fairly organised. But I always knew that even on the the best moment, the the goal would come for River Plate, and Julian Alvarez scored kind of when Junior were on the ascendancy and looking likely to score. There was a call for a penalty against uh, Miguel Borja. He broke into the box and was pulled back, and the referee missed it. Um, and obviously, the the Junior. Fans and and commentators have said, ah, Junior, if only they got that penalty at that moment, they they would have equalised and they could have gone on to win this game. But in the end, it was 2-1. Miguel Borja scored in the the final seconds. That was a great Miguel Borja goal, just for the record, Simon. Like, just everything about Miguel Borja, like... 
good enough to be junior's lead striker, can score a lot of goals, but it's the goal in a 2-1 game in the 94th minute that doesn't really mean anything. It was just very on-brand the whole night from junior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So junior did play quite well, but they... And I, and I heard the commentary after the game uh, on ESPN on, on the radio. They were discussing the result and they were saying, well, look, Junior played really quite well at times and, and they have a good team. And all they need to do is win the next two games and they're, they're, back in, they're back in with a great chance. They just need to beat Fluminense twice. And I was thinking, well, they've only won two of the last 10 games in the Libertadores. So, you know, is there really a huge uh, likelihood that they'll win the next two against Brazilian opposition? Um, but... You know, it wasn't an embarrassing performance. It was a competitive performance by a junior, but I always felt that River Plate were going to come on top, and it and it wasn't the best River performance either. Tom, what did you think of this game? Um, more positive on Junior, more positive on River. What, what were your yeah, thoughts? I, I agree with a lot of what you've said there. I, I was expecting Junior maybe to be significantly worse than River, but to be honest, that they weren't bad. Like you said, they had some good spells of possession, some decent chances. I think River were just that you know, that, that little bit more savvy, they've, they're more clinical, which is to be fair, isn't something we've always been able to say about them in the last 12 months. Um, I think they just, they know this tournament. They're a, a great unit under Gajalo. And, and like you said, I don't think River are, are quite at, you know, fly uh, or going on f- all cylinders at the moment, but, um, and I think there'll be more to come from them as there will be from Boca as well. Um, but th- I think they just, I think that second goal really showed what, the difference between the two sides. It was a, it was a really nice 15 pass team goal. It was just kind of very slow, very slow. And then all of a sudden very fast. And it was a nice ball in from Angeletti. Who's he's to be fair. He, he's looking like he's an outside chance of, of a call up to the, the national team. Um, certainly left back there. There's a big wide open gap there to be Tagliafico's understudy. Um, and he's playing great at the moment. And then Julian Alvarez swept it in. Um, you could, I think Borre might have been fouled in the build-up as well anyway. But um, yeah, I think that was just that type of move. You just couldn't really see Junior putting together. And um, and for that reason, River just looked that level above uh, Junior. Um, I don't think there's too much to, you know, difference between these teams in in the group. But I think that both Colombian sides are maybe just that level just below uh, River and Fluminense and, and 2-1 felt about right. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you as, as well, Simon, was what do you make of Caracal? Because he seemed really fired up and maybe motivated in front of a, a Colombian audience watching and, and there were flashes of what made him such a watchable player. I've still got my doubts about him, but, uh, you know, he he was he was pretty good to be honest wasn't he yeah and and there were some great moments again i think it was another nutmeg and then a, a really nice through ball and he's at his best he's one of the best players in south america like no question um so but i i think we still are having the conversation of carascal as if he was a 17 year old you know we're talking about these brazilians who are, you know, leading scorers in the Libertadores at 18 and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, oh, he's, think how good he's going to be when he turns 19, 20. Well, Carascal is very almost 22 years old. Like, it's 23 years old. We're not talking about a kid anymore. So that's my concern with Carascal. Like, he's very, very talented and nobody's questioning that. But we're speaking of him as if he's a 17-year-old when he's a, almost a 23-year-old. And that, for me, is the is the concern. Tom, can you see him go to Europe at some point, or 
or is is him is him is his immaturity kind of still evident and perhaps a little bit too slow to kind of dissipate? Yeah, not not for me, Clive. I, th- I think he's going to be one of these players who sticks around South America, maybe bounces around to um, perhaps. N- MLS or, or Mexico or or the Middle East or China. I, I don't think if I, I don't think I've seen enough of him yet to to tempt me into getting him for all the you know the nice YouTube reel that you could probably make of him. So yeah, I think he's uh, he's probably not going to to be one who kicks on. But to be fair, playing for River, you know there are certainly um, worst uh, careers to be had in football. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's like. There's things about his game he still needs to work on, but they're not things European clubs would want to do with a 23-year-old. If he was 18, I could see him improving, going to an Ajax and to, you know, refine his game and, and work out the rough edges. And, and but I can't see it happening at this age. But there we go, uh, Austin. Uh, you got to see more of this than me. You lucky thing, uh, Santa Fe. I, I said Santa Fe are getting a bit more attractive. Um, they're back in the Libertadores. Do you agree with me? Yeah, enough. I mean, they're not completely brutal to watch. Um, but that's burying the lead in this match because I, I think the story here is Fluminense. Another impressive performance from them. Uh, a 2-1 win for the Brazilian side who I think are maybe my favorite Brazilian side in this competition. Uh, I like Rosario Machado as a, as a manager. I like a lot of what Fluminense does. Uh, they've got this brilliant mix of, you know, the next Manchester City signing in Kaike and also Fredge. And, you know, uh, Gonzo is sitting on the bench. Uh, they've got Juan Caceres. They've got Abel Hernandez. Um, they just signed Raul Bobadilla. You know, it's just this great mix of kind of South American, you know, not quite the highest tier of the veteran South American players, but good enough to do the job. And they've played well so far, this Libertadores. Um, they a good, good point at home against River Plate. Fred on the score sheet again twice in this match. Um, one early, just a really good individual play to bring the ball down with his chest and slot home. Um, and then kind of a, a bit of a, a junkier kind of, you know, get to the ball first and head it in early in the second half to make this 2-0. From there, Fluminense really had to hang on. They went down to 10 men. Um, a really good individual goal from Santa Fe to make it 2-1. Santa Fe tested. They forced some good saves. They might have hit the woodwork once or twice. Santa Fe were unfortunate to not get at least a point, even three from this match. But this was a good performance from Fluminense. Um, this match changed venue about 36 hours before it happened. So Fluminense ended up flying to Bogota and then flying to Armenia. Um, the Colombian city, not the country, it should be noted. Um, although, <laughs> hey, with the way this tournament's going, maybe we'll get there by the end of it. Um, <laughs> But so, uh, you know, a lot of obstacles for Fluminense in this match, a lot of obstacles for Santa Fe as well, it should be said. But this is a really, really good three points from Fluminense, and I think it sets them up really nicely in this group. Santa Fe aren't done yet, um, but I think moving from Bogota is a big downgrade from them. They lose about half the altitude that they would have gotten in Bogota, and that really, I think, will make it hard to get something from this match against River. Um, You'd like their odds to get something as a junior, but I just don't think that's going to be enough to go through in second in this group. So it's going to be difficult for them. Um, and are you with me on this Fluminense team? They're just really fun. I just really like watching them. They're not the best team in Brazil, it's obvious, but they're a really fun team, and I'm really happy that they made the Libertadores. Uh, the, 
they're very entertaining. I think they are your your classic Brazilian team, to be honest. Like you say, the mix of the young, the old, Fredji, of course, but also Nene. He's like quite the, the journeyman that sort of found himself in Fluminense now. So they're really, really entertaining to watch. And I had a good time watching uh, Fluminense on, on the ESPN Brazil channel with the commentators saying, we are live here from Santa Fe in Colombia. But the fact that Santa Fe is in Bogota and they weren't even in Bogota. So it was, it was an entertaining side to watch. And I hope to see some more of the, the younger talent coming out. Of course, we have Kaiki. He provided a nice little um, flick through to Nene, who then passed it on to, to Fred for the goal. So I really want to see a few more of the, the younger talent, not just the, the veterans sort of leading it, and see what they can do in the competition, to be honest, because so far the young players only really get a chance to shine in the, in the state championships, which isn't really, you know, the kind of competition, the kind of high level that um, that we need to for, for a player to develop well. So I'm looking forward to seeing Fluminense, to be honest. They are a bit of an underdog and you don't get a lot of Brazilian underdogs yeah, anymore. Yeah, I think so as well for um, a lot of our listeners who are probably interested in Kaique and, and how he's going to do, I, th- I thought this was a really nice... S- other side of his game as Anna mentioned there he was I think he got the second assist for both of the of the goals you know just not necessarily always having to do the flashy stuff which he is obviously so good at but just those little clever balls you know that are, that are helping to create those goals and um yeah I think like Austin said as well Fluminense I think have that chance to be the kind of smaller Brazilian side, the, this kind of the Santos of this year, who are who are happy to sort of seed possession sometimes, but can turn it on in flurries, and and they're not perfect, but they've all got the, the all the components of a of a really entertaining Libertadores side. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of them, and and they're yeah, and they're it's a great kit. Well. And I think Fluminense sound like the type of team I would build on Football Manager. Uh, perhaps perhaps some unwise punts on the likes of Ganso, but then you know some experienced uh, veterans or journeymen. Uh, some wonder kids sounds sounds like a lot of fun, and I think the Colombian rationale b- behind saying that Junior can get past Fluminense is that Santa Fe almost beat them, <laughs> and Junior beat Santa Fe, so that means Junior should beat Fluminense. But they seem to forget that this is the Libertadores, and um, being a bit of a mess uh, is isn't such a problem in domestic Colombian football, but never seems to to kind of work out particularly well for Junior in continental competitions but we shall see we shall see maybe we won't have a Colombian third and fourth in this in this group yet who knows who knows Santa Fe Santa Fe Santa Fe la fuerza de un pueblo Santa Fe Santa Fe Santa Fe la fuerza de un pueblo Sigue rojo sigue rojo sigue metiendo los goles sigue rojo sigue rojo sigue metiendo los goles so let's look at group e so go on tom racing cristal uh looked on paper a bit dull but i've heard some more positive reports what, what did you think of this one yeah, I mean, it was an entertaining game, I think, but not from necessarily two good sides. Racing, for me, are the, probably the poorest of the Argentinian sides, albeit 
they've got quite a kind group so they're probably likely to go further than maybe maybe a couple of them but um yeah they i think they were quite fortunate really to get away um with the win after you know basically facing quite a a wasteful cristal side um and they 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 really sort of had to weather a storm when they went down to 10 men um but they managed to just to come up with that extra quality in the final third which uh which cristal just just didn't have uh, despite having a bit more possession as you'd imagine they would do with a an extra man um but yeah basically they started pretty well racing they they hit the crossbar from range and then Cáceres who's this 20 year old fullback um who's just on this remarkable scoring run at the moment um he's got three goals and one assist in his last three games and um basically Racing's tactic seems to be just like stick him, stick him in a cannon and, and fire him into the area just to be heading heading balls into the back of the net, which is his uh, trademark goal already, which is a uh, which is yeah quite quite fun. Um, and um, yeah, and then obviously they they went down to ten men very, at the start of the second half. Gonzalez for Cristal equalised quite a nice little move there, one, one of the better moves that Cristal put together. Um, and yeah. Racing were on the ropes at that point, but they they managed to get themselves back into the game. I think Novijo coming on, um, good young-ish centre-back who they got from Belgrano, um, firm, helped firm things up a little bit. And then they got a, a nice goal, good cross from Miranda and Chancale, um headed home uh, for, for a 2-1 win and they, they just about he- held on. So they'll they'll be very happy that they, they got away with one here. Um, and I think Cristal will be well. They should be very annoyed that against ten men and having you know a lot of chances and possession, they didn't get the win because they've, they've only really got themselves to to blame. And if they're not winning these, then they're not going to get too many um, better chances to, uh, to to get some points on the road. So um, you know, rather than be happy about how they performed, I, I if I was a Cristal fan, I'd be I'd be sort of. Uh, a bit more annoyed, I'd say, but maybe Austin, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like you said, there's positives to take from the fact that Cristal cre- created so much, but you also have to kind of, you know, juxtapose that against the fact that if they can't do it in this match, you know, are they going to be able to do it against anybody but Rentistas in this group? Um, and, and that's kind of the the overarching question. You know, maybe there's a path to get out of this group. If, if you beat Rentistas twice, you can beat Rossing at home. You know, it's just, it's complicated. And, and at the end of the day, the difference in this match um, was that Rossing took the chances that they created and Sporting Cristal did not. Um, you can get into a, a lot deeper than that, but at the end of the day, that's what it came down to. Rossing didn't create a bunch, but what they created, they took. Cristal created a ton, but they couldn't take much of it at all. Um, some of that was, you know, plain old misfortune. Some of that was good luck for Rossing. Some of that was bad execution. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's what this match came down to. It was quality on, on Rossing's side, even though they were terrible for the majority of it. They came out of this match with two goals, and that was the difference. Um, like, I agree with you, Tom. I'm not impressed by this Rossing side. They are very fortunate to be on four points. Um, they could very easily be on one, if not none. Um, the way that this group has gone and, and maybe they deserve a bit of credit for rescuing these situations, but they're not going to be able to get far in this competition um, if they continue to play like this. And I think that's a, a big red flag for them, for Cristal. 
you know, the margin of error is really small at this point. Um, you can't drop any points against Rentistas. You have to beat Rossing at home. And, you know, maybe if you manufacture something against Sao Paulo away from home, maybe nine points is enough to get out of this group. We just don't know yet. Um, positive signs, but it's going to be a long, hard path to get out of this group for them, I think. Uh, Austin, I'll stay with you for a second uh, because you, again, impressed by Rentistas. Uh, obviously, conceded. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, they didn't get blown off the pitch. Like, at no point did I feel like Rentistas were going to win this match, which finished 2-0 to Sao Paulo. But they were organized enough. They created your token chance or two when you kind of looked up at the TV, like, oh, maybe Rentistas will do something. Uh, which, I guess, you know, maybe at the end of the day, that's enough for them. This is a team that is one of the smaller clubs in Uruguay. It's miraculous that they're even in the group stage of the Libertadores. The fact that they picked up a point against a former champion was huge. The fact that they, you know, covered themselves at least decently in this match, I think is, is credit to them. But look, this is a Sao Paulo side that are playing, you know, every two days in various competitions. Three points was the goal and three points was what they got. At no point did I feel like they were under uh, much pressure in this match. Um, Pablo did well to find space and fire in the first goal. It took them a while. Uh, to find that second goal, probably longer than it should have, but find that they did, and they win 2-0. They're on six points at the top of this group, and they can maybe take an eye now and put it on the State League in Brazil, which I think is a trophy that they really want to win this year. Uh, yeah, look, Rentistas are always going to have a really, really hard time in this group. Maybe they get something against Sporting Cristal. Those are probably the matches they had circled. They did fine in this match, but at the end of the day, I never really felt like they were they were going to do anything positive. And and yeah, Sao Paulo playing really well under Anon Crespo. Uh, they're on a really good winning streak. As I said, playing really well in the state league, and, and while you know that competition can kind of get put behind by a lot of clubs in Brazil, I think that's really a competition that Sao Paulo have targeted this year, and they'd really like to win it. Yeah. I mean, just jumping, just to jump in really fast. Uh, I think Sao Paulo are doing extremely well, given the circumstances of Brazilian football. I mean, like you mentioned, they're playing once every two weeks, uh, sorry, every two days approximately. So the amount of games that they're playing and the amount of good performances, decent performances that they're giving, I mean, credit is due, I think, to Hernan Crespo and, and to Sao Paulo because they are doing well. They are doing well. And I do see them going quite far in this competition to be honest I think they are one of the, the most consistent Brazilian teams that we're seeing and so I think they're a threat definitely Great, yeah, no, from what I've seen they look assertive, confident Danny Alves is still doing the business yeah, for me they look like a proper team Which uh, they have not looked like in this competition for a really long time, Simon and I think, you know, they've been really exactly. bad in for a number of years now, so for them to be on six points through two games in a group that, you know, okay, it looks like Sao Paulo should cruise through, but there's Sao Paulo. You never know what will happen. I think these are really positive signs for them, and I think Crespo has done a really good job, particularly when you look at what happened with the whole Juan situation at Santos. Exactly, and another encouraging sign is the fact that they're not conceding. They haven't conceded in the Libertadores, given the fact, of course, that opposition has not perhaps been the, of the best caliber. But even in the State League, they're not conceding against, you know, Palmeiras, Santos, uh, Corinthians. They're not conceding. So I think there's a lot of encouraging signs so far going forward, definitely.
Well, let's move on to the next group. And Tom, uh, LDU Quito 3, Velez 1. An impressive win. Uh, what's what's going on with Velez? They're not doing particularly well. What's happening? Yeah, it was a really entertaining game. And, and t- you know, two good sides going for it. I think, you know, you could say that Velez were arguably the better side in the first half. But once again, they've, you know, shown they've got some serious defensive vulnerabilities, which is quite surprising because Pellegrino, I think, has got, you know, more of a reputation as being a bit of a defensive coach. But it almost feels they've lost, like, a bit of the defensive solidity that uh, Hainsey had. Um, and yeah, Pellegrino was not happy. He uh, kicked a water bottle and was, yeah, sort of, yeah, not not impressed on the sidelines. I think the one big plus was Almada. Really good first half performance. He's really running the Velez attack now. But yeah, as you said, Velez are, are now in real danger of missing out. Uh, they're probably going to have to win three of their next four games if they want to want to get out here because it's a really tough group a really even group i think um maybe la calera are probably the the weaker side and and that's probably where velas now have to 100 percent get six points from their two games against them um but it was yeah it was one of those games that i think quito a bit like last year, they're, they're, sh- they're able to really turn it on in spells. I think they're always going to be a threat at home as well. Um, yeah, they're probably occasionally going to leave some gaps at the back, but they've they've got a bit of everything. And and perhaps Quito and, and Barcelona are, are maybe the two Ecuadorian sides that we should be giving a bit more love and, um, you know, rather than uh, our, our favourites, uh, Independiente del, del Valle, I think, these are two Ecuadorian sides that could could have good runs, um, and it, it was a bit disappointing they didn't go further last year because I thought I thought they were capable of it. But um, yeah, as I said, first half, um, Alcivar for um, the young ex under twenty international crashed one off the bar, and then Almada had the ball in the back of the net, but was I think wrongly flagged offside, which was you know in the in the context of it was was quite a big decision. Um, but then Cristian Martinez and another one of these veteran strikers this week that we've seen you know coming coming good and, and scoring lots of goals Fregi, Bagesia, um Santa Cruz, Tevez, Hulke um, and now Martinez as well he was he was a real handful all evening and, and Velez just couldn't get um couldn't get um to grips with him at all he scored well the first goal it was um was a really nice finish um it was a really unstoppable header. I think he's got 24 and 31 in the, in the league last year. So he's having a real Indian summer to his career. Um, but Velas did manage to pull one back um, through Galdames, but then an absolute golazo from Martinez um, effectively was the, was the goal that, re- that really kind of killed the game. You know, he, he controlled it expertly on, on the right players stood off him a little bit and he just came onto his left and curled one into the, the edge of the box. And then, um, Zunino got the third for Eliukita El and a bit of a bit of a fortunate goal to, to go in there, sort of a, a, a loop. But I think the fact that at altitude, Velez were tiring a little bit and um, after such a good first half, they, they just couldn't couldn't bring themselves back. So yeah, very um very good game and um but worrying signs for Velez who I think are, are better than a couple of these Argentinian sides in the in the tournament here, but um the the fine margins are, are just going against them at the moment. 
Yeah, Tom, different draw for Velas, and I think this is a different story. Um, you know, zero points from two matches where I really thought they played pretty well in both of them. As you said, maybe tired down the stretch against Liga, and that cost them. They went toe-to-toe with Flamengo and got beat by a Golasa from De Arascaeta. That's why they didn't take a point from that match. So they're unfortunate to be on zero points. Um, but maybe at the end of the day, it's not a terrible thing because you could see this Velas team maybe going through in third and getting dropped in the Sudamericana, and I think they can make a lot of noise in that competition. So this is a talented team that just didn't get the draw that they needed to be real factors in this tournament, I think. Okay, Austin, I'll stay with you. What about uh, Flamengo? I mean, it's a lot of the same players as we saw amazingly win this competition. Uh, Gabi Gold, Bruno Henrique, Dilasqueta. He's Gabi now. He's Gabi now, apparently. I don't know why, but he's oh, Gabi. He's lost he the goal. it. Okay. Yeah. I guess. And then he got sure. goals in this, not in this game. <laughs> uh, Gerson, this is a good team. Um, are they are they as good as they seem? Uh, also, La Calera, La Calera, we were quite impressed with last week. Um, what what happened? Uh, was this just Flamengo? Yeah, I mean, I, this result was a bit unkind to Union La Calera. Um, they were obviously not the better side in this match, but 4-1 was, was pretty harsh on them. They did some things in the second half in this match. Uh, they brought Jorge Valdivia on at halftime, and I thought he was good for them. Really changed the match. He still got it. Um, they made some some good tactical changes. They scored a goal to cut it to 2-1. They had some opportunities for 2-2. It looked like you, know, you could kind of talk yourself into it at, at some point, and then Flamengo just kind of, you know, uh, switched gears yet again and went on a run and scored two goals, including um, the goal that is most assuredly going to win goal of the week, the fourth from Pedro. I, I would encourage the listeners to check that out. This is a good Flamengo team. You mentioned the talent. Um, Rosario Seni kind of survived, I think, the, the early kind of difficulties that he had in charge of this team. Um, you know, after the whole Tehran situation, he comes in withstands a tough Libertadores elimination last year, ends up winning the title in Brazil, and he's got this Flamengo team clicking on all on cylinders. I don't think they're quite as good as the Jose Jesus team, but they're absolutely a contender to win this Libertadores title. They're absolutely one of the most talented sides on the continent, and it would not be a surprise to see them you know, in the semifinals or the final of this competition. And this performance was just kind of another example of that. They're just too good, frankly, for a lot of teams. Um, they were too good for Velas last week. They were too good for La Clara this week, and odds are they will probably be too good for Liga de Quito, particularly when Liga de Quito go to Rio. I could see uh, Liga maybe doing something uh, in Quito with the altitude. We saw Flamengo struggle with that against Del Valle last year, but it's hard to envision anything but a first-place finish for Flamengo in this group. And I think La Clara deserve a bit of a round of applause. Um, they acquitted themselves well. You know, This is a competition debutante uh, budget, You know, a fraction of what Flamengo have. And they were in this match for the, for the majority of it. And I think they deserve some credit for that. And a Flamengo, just really good. It, it sounds so simple exactly. to say, I think but they just are, right? Exciting, attacking Brazilian teams to watch, to be honest, because there's just so much going for them. Whether you love him or hate him, Gabi Gol is Gabi Gol, Gabi, whatever you want to call him, is, is really exciting to watch. And even behind Gabi Gol, some players don't maybe get as much attention as him but Bruno Henrique also fantastic fantastic playmaker and also goal scorer in his own in his own right uh, he provided a really nice assist this week for example and same with uh, what's his name Tejas Cayeta the Uruguayan 
fantastic, fantastic player. You just watch him float into the area, float into spaces, and then just providing a cheeky little pass for Gabigol to, you know, to get all the praise. But they have such, such, such depth of talent, fantastic, fantastic players. And like you said, a lot of the, the players are sort of ones that were have been there for a long time. And so they are clicking, they are playing well. And a huge, huge threat in the competition, I think, could possibly go all the way. But I think we're far, far, far too early to be talking about a winner, but definitely competitive side, no doubt. I think it was interesting as well to see William Aral more at centre-back as well. You know, I think we've typically seen him more in the base of midfield. And next to Bruno Viana, they look like quite a good little partnership there. Maybe it's they weren't tested as much as uh, as you'd expect but I mean yeah as, as everyone said there that midfield of Diego, Gerson, Ribeiro, Derezquieta, Enrique it's just pure velvet really it's just a ridiculous wealth of talent and, and Anna I wanted to ask you do, do you feel like this there's there's quite a few players in that team that could uh, do a, a move or do you think it's a case of almost like the golden handcuffs, keeping them in a really nice situation where they can where they can play this brilliant football in a star-studded uh, team? Um, or do you think there's a danger that some of them might finally get cherry-picked from, from this team? Um, I think it's an interesting question, to be honest. There's a lot of talk about, about Gabriel Barbosa maybe making his return to Europe after he sort of flopped there um, two years ago. But like you said... Panenko is such a good team and they win so much and they're quite a stable team as Brazilian teams go and so I really I really honestly don't know I honestly don't know I, I can't see that the, the players leaving before the end of the Lipsadores because they are so good and they do have such a chance to win I think the, the draw the pull of, of La Gloria Eterna would be too much to to make them stay in South America. I hope so as well, because they are really entertaining. I'm not a Flamingo fan, and I, I'm not fond of Flamingo at all, but they are quite entertaining to watch, to be fair. Yeah, and Tom, to that point, I think Anna broke it down really well. It's like, how many situations are actually that much better than, than what those players can get at mm-hmm. Flamingo? Um, you know, most of them have had tastes of Europe with varying degrees of success. Um, you know, it's, it's not like they have these young 19-year-olds who are going to be able to go play for Real Madrid. You know, is it really worth going to a, a upper mid-table team in Europe when you can just be on the best or one of the best teams in South America? They all make very, very good money. The Czechs show up on time. Um, they're playing for the biggest team in Brazil, you know, the, the best supported team on the continent. There's just not a lot of situations, I think, that would draw a player away from Flamengo at this point, um, particularly with the group of players that they have there. It's just this perfect mix of players who are experienced enough where they don't necessarily need that European move. And also, you know, there's a path to the Brazil squad through Flamengo, I think. Um, you know, not for every player, but for a player or two. A 23-man Brazil squad is probably, you know, probably going to include a Flamengo player, um, and you can't necessarily say that about going to play for, you know, Marseille or you know, insert random Spanish team here. Um, I think they're going to be able to keep it together, and I think they're going to be a threat in this competition. Uh, just jumping fast, I think the exception to this would probably be Dahasqueta because he is he yeah. is a fantastic player, and being an Uruguayan as well. 
he hasn't yet made a move to to Europe despite being exceptionally talented. And so maybe out of all of them, I would say that he would probably be the one to maybe give it a shot, to be honest. Depending, of course, on how it goes with Doris this year. But in the future, definitely, because time's getting on a little bit now. Okay, great. Well, let's get to the final group. And last, but of course not least, uh, well, we'll start off by talking about a, a thrilling game. Uh, Austin, you got the, the, the pleasure of enjoying Cero against La Guaira. How was that for you? Least, Simon. You said last, but not least, but I'm here to confirm that it was least. Uh, I watched all 90 minutes of Cerro Porteño Deportivo La Laida so that nobody else had to. Uh, this was the result that the Venezuelans came for, and this was the result that they got, and I think they'll be thrilled with that. Um, two really good points for them from their first two matches. Now, at some point, they're going to have to win a game if they want to get out of this group, and that's probably going to come against America the Cali. But to hold a really talented Brazil side to a one uh Atletico Mineiro side from Brazil to a 1-1 draw last week. And then this 0-0 draw to the sec- uh, away to the second-best team in this group, Cerro Porteño. Those are positive results. I'm really impressed by how organized um, Farias' side is. They defend well. They don't often find themselves out of position. Uh, they handle crosses into the box really well. And, and that is what you have to do if you're going to play this type of style because so much of what happens is teams just get frustrated and so they just throw the ball out to the wing and they just whack it into the box and hope that one of their more talented strikers can take care of it and that hasn't been the case for anybody against La Guayeta yet um again I don't know if they're going to be able to do this enough and also pair it with scoring enough to get out of this group but they've acquitted themselves very well and they deserve credit for that a bit of a back down to earth for Cerro Porteño I think after what we saw against America the Cali they created a couple of good chances, but not really enough to, to really deserve having won this match. Um, I think this is a different side when they don't have the ball versus when they have to have the ball. And they were really effective against America the Cali last week because America wanted the ball and they had the ball, but they couldn't do anything with it. And then Sarah Portanio took advantage of what little possession they had. But here, when they had the ball, they looked a bit out of ideas at points um, and and look, maybe that's they just needed a bounce to go their way. And so often in matches like this, it does for the team that has so much of the possession. And, you know, this is a completely different story. But that's something I think to watch for with this Cerro Porteño side as they go through this competition is, you know, when they're forced to have possession, are they able to, to take advantage of it and make it happen? 
Um, I think they're still sitting pretty to, to, to get out of this group. Um, you know, they're on the, the four points now. Um, I don't, it'll be interesting. They play Atletico Mineiro this time around. Let's see what they can do um, from their two matches against Atletico in the coming weeks. But I think you have to still feel pretty good about their odds to go through in second. Um, don't search out the highlights of this match. Just don't save yourself the time. <laughs> okay, well, finally, then we can talk about uh, America de Cali against Atletico Mineiro. Um, so last week, Cali were really missing a number nine. Uh, this week, they, they played a number nine, but they were still pretty much missing a number nine. Uh, Aldea Rodriguez, despite being the star man for Peruvian B- Club B Nacional, it, it turns out he's he's not the saviour. Um, he's... Wow. <laughs> what a surprise. Who could have seen that coming? He's not quite as good as um, uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, German Bundesliga top goal scorer Adrian Ramos, who they're currently missing. Although Adrian Ramos, again, is 35 and nowhere near the player he once was. But America don't have any strikers. Uh, and last week they played with no strikers. Um, and this week, instead of trying to put Santiago uh, Moreno in as a number nine, which didn't really work, they just took Santiago Moreno out and completely, which I think is it wasn't the issue. <laughs> um, uh, and Santiago Moreno came on and, and had a positive impact. Um so this game, again, America were well in this game. And I thought, okay, they couldn't break down Cerro, but against the Brazilian side away, they'll probably have more chance to counter. Duvan Vergara, you know, there's this, uh, Morillo is quick. They've got some pace. They can probably do some damage. Um, they, you know, they, they gave, it was very even really in the first half, nothing clear cut for either side. And then, and then Hulk came on. He's really big. Like, I mean, it goes without saying, but when you see him come on, um, and this maybe isn't a hundred percent fit Hulk, but he is, he is a broad person. He is a broad human being. <laughs> um, and he made the difference. He won a penalty, he scored a penalty and then scored another one after some really nice work as well from the Venezuelans, Avarino, with a little back heel to set him up. Yeah, I mean, Hulk, Hulk came on in 45 minutes. By 63 minutes, Minera were tuning up, and uh, and that was it, really. I mean, America put on a lot of pressure late. Uh, Luis Sanchez scored, and America came close to scoring in the in the final minutes. They you know, maybe deserved something, but it was that 15-minute Hulk display. Uh, scored uh, two goals in four minutes, and, and that was that was really it for Minero, from my perspective. Uh, Tom, what did you think of this game? Um, America, slightly unlucky, but Hulk the difference, or more to it than that? I think you're being a bit kind on America, if I'm honest. Uh, Hulk was obviously the the difference um, with the two goals. You know, he's to that extra bit of class that I think really completes this team. But after a frantic first 10 minutes, uh, I think Minedo just really slowly cranked up the pressure. Um, you could see that they had more of a plan than America. You know, they, they had these little creative set pieces, um, defenders taking short goal kicks to the goalkeeper and and you know they just had a bit more threat be it from Nacho Fernandez's set pieces or Keno who I thought was very good on the left I think he has the temp he has the possibility to be maybe this year's Marinho potentially in terms of a slightly older wide player who who, who can who can do something um and then yeah obviously players like Saverino Zaracho doing little bits there and and they've got strength in depth um, as as well so i th- i think they're a they're a nice side obviously they got caught out at the end there by finally some 
some some good pressuring by America de Cali, who after that first 10 minutes, I, I think they just failed to really press and keep up that intensity. Um, so I, I think it was it was always Atletico Mineiro's game to lose and, and and yeah they got the three points they deserved also little mention to Coquinha on the on the sidelines who who's got a very different style to Kuka um he looks more like a second rate movie director compared to um Kuka's more kind of homeless <laughs> approach maybe to his dress sense um but yeah I, I think America uh, de Gallia probably out of the Colombian sides I've seen the one that I've been most disappointed by because I was expecting more and and they just for me they haven't been at it whereas Atletico Mineiro a bit like Fluminense might be one of these um, dark horses uh, for, to, to have a really oh, good run in the Tom. They're not a dark horse. Look at the talent they have in that team. Look at their okay. eleven. <laughs> they're not a dark horse. They should, okay, they're... dark horse in terms of they're not Palmeiras, Flamengo. Sure. River and Boca. <laughs> sure, but you look at that 11, there's a lot of talented players, and that's kind of my big question with them. I don't really like the, the Kuka uh, uh, appointment for them. You know, he hasn't been on the sidelines yet because of his uh, histrionics in the Elias Stories final that earned him a, a nice uh, continental suspension. But I don't know if he's the right person to get the best out of what is just a abundance of talent. Uh, you know, they've got seven foreign players. You can only play five in Brazil, but they play all seven of them in the Libertadores. You know, there's there's Hulk, there's Saba. This, this is a really good side with a lot of really good players. The question is, can they put it all together? Um, and, and that's kind of my thing with them. And I don't think we're going to know that until they get deeper into this competition because I don't think they really have to put it together to get through this group the way that the, the draw has, has, has turned out for them. Yeah, I mean, I can see Mineiro sort of breezing their way through in the background. I wouldn't quite call them an, an underdog or a dark horse, but I can see them sort of not being one of the main teams that we look at, but still getting the, the results and getting the performances enough that they need to advance. I also, I also wanted to point out um, Cheche, who is on a loan move with them in Mineiro. Um, he, he played very, very well for, for Sao Paulo, so I was sort of expecting a lot more for him um, at Minero, but haven't really seen much of him so far. So it would be really interesting to see how all of these players come together to see whether or not they can actually challenge beyond the point of, of the, what, what they need to do, you know. Okay, and in terms of, uh, I mean, in terms of America, they've got two games against La Guaira coming up. They need to win both of those. Uh, that's uh, important. Uh, they had good luck breaking them down. It's the three clean sheets in their last four, and only one conceded in their last six. No one's getting through that Venezuelan wall, Simon. <laughs> that's true. Maybe they should bring on Jao Rodriguez. Uh, that is Jao Rodriguez of fifteen clubs and a decade at Chelsea. Who, who America have on the bench? A baffling, baffling player. <laughs> He's been on loan everywhere. Uh, averaged twenty-four years old, has averaged two loans a year, uh, and has spent a decade at Chelsea. So he didn't get on the bench. He didn't get on the pitch, despite America not having any strikers in this game. But maybe he's the solution. He once had a few good games at Necaxa or something. So maybe he's the answer. Or maybe we just need to pray for. 35-year-old uh, Adrian Ramos to to recapture his Dortmund form. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Guys, that comes to the end of a, of a bumper episode this week. We had a lot to talk about. A lot has happened. So I want to thank everybody. Uh, Austin, 
Thank you for your glorious return. Anything you'd like to plug, as if I don't know? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I would also encourage all the listeners to follow the official account of the Libertadores and the Sudamericana at, at the Libertadores and at the Sudamericana. Um, we just debuted a, a new app and website for the Libertadores. So there's a lot of good content going up on there. A couple of stories every week, good player profiles, um, interesting stories, good interviews. So if you like this podcast, you're going to find stuff that you like on that site and in, and in the app for sure. So I would encourage all of the, the listeners to go and download that. Perfect. Anna, thank you for joining us again. Excellent contribution. Where can people follow you on Twitter and anything you'd like to say before we finish up? Brilliant. Fantastic as usual. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ana Goleador for just a bunch of chats about Brazilian and South American football, really. Excellent. Yeah, Anna's Twitter is is very, very good. Uh, go check it out. Go follow her, Ana Goleador. Uh, and Tom, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, anything you'd like to say before we finish and Twitter, whatnot? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at TomMorrow89. Um, nothing in particular to, to plug right now. Um, just obviously all the World Football Index stuff on the site of the podcast and, and obviously all the great stuff on the Libertadores Sudamericana pages as well, as Austin's already said. Um, so yeah, just looking forward to uh, the the rest of these games and as the Libertadores gets you know, a bit more tighter and, and the match is getting a bit more tenser. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Another fascinating week. Hopefully we get a few more Nacional Nacionals and a few less <laughs> Cerro La Guajiras. But we'll see what happens. Who knows what happens in the Libertadores. So thanks for listening. Uh, for Twitter, at uh, Simon Edwards SAF, anything you need, hit me up over there. And hopefully we'll be back again next week. Uh, the action's coming thick and fast. We're enjoying it. We're sharing our thoughts and experiences. So thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back again next week.